Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here on the 1st of January, 2023. As we are entering this new year, I'm looking forward to the increasing daylight and seeing what happens in the coming year. I had fun tracking the precipitation totals after a very dry start to last year, a very wet period in later January and into February. Uh, made for a wet year overall. We ended with over 100 of inches of precipitation at the airport um, versus a normal, what's considered normal, of about 84, if I'm remembering correctly. It was much wetter at geodetic way, but I think that's probably typical there. It's closer to the mountains and probably more representative of what many of us experience at our homes. And there was something like 130 inches of rain there. So definitely a wet year. Be interesting to see what the coming year holds for us. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. The conversation I had for this week's show is one I recorded recently with Brooke Schaefer and Paul Norwood. I spoke with them for my first show of 2022, and at the time they were talking about having a boat based out of Ketchikan, which they could use to explore southern southeast Alaska. We'll go ahead and join the conversation with Paul talking a little bit about their experiences doing that. We spent quite a bit of time, surprisingly, a lot of time, you know, between like February and May, I would say, when the weather was pretty rough. Then after that, I was gone for a fair bit of the summer. We still did some trips. and They were more rewarding and productive, but uh, there were fewer of them in the summer. And then we put the boat out in September. So you kept it in Ketchikan? Yes. So just had a, I guess, well, you bought it in Ketchikan, left it in the harbors there. That's right. And so you would fly down there for a few days to a week or two and, and just explore. What are some of the places you got to explore? Oh, man. Gosh, so many places. I know, Brooke, you told us about Soda Springs on, right. on the library, when the library show crossover. Swap over. That was a highlight for sure, but we have plenty of other highlights. And actually, one of the first trips we did was at the very back of, was it called Branch? Um, harbor. It was in February. And this was like our first experience with the Ketchikan area, that part of Southeast. So we didn't really know what to expect. And there was a um, cabin at the back of a long arm, not too far south of Ketchikan, and a trail that goes into the Misty Fjords wilderness area. Wilderness area is probably not the right name for it. National Monument, maybe. Um, And so we were like, well, let's go find out what Misty Fjords is all about. And the cabin back there is real sweet little spot. The trail is not well maintained. We discovered a lot of amazing trails in this area of Southeast that are not well maintained. In Southern Southeast? Yes. But but like to fantastic places, if you're okay with, you know, walking off trail or, you know, feel comfortable in the woods and don't mind not having a clear path in front of you, it's great. It's wonderful hiking. And the nice thing about there being a trail at some point is there, in the past, there being a trail that was maintained at some point, that there is a route, you know. um, So it's an area that has some structure there to sort of help you find your way through. Um, So there's a beautiful trail at the back of that that bay that we could hike back to several lakes back there. And if I remember correctly, Paul, maybe you'll remember better, there might be some other uh, cabins on those lakes as well. And I think yeah. a lot of what people do is they actually fly into the lakes. That's why maybe the trails aren't maintained so much anymore. But um, you could walk all the way back to these lakes and get to other cabins back there. 
But if your plan is to go down there and uh, anchor your boat and walk the trail, then row the little boat to the cabin, I would say have a backup plan and check in first because the boat may not be there, the trail may not be there. The cabin's probably there, but um, it's definitely something to check in on. Uh, for example, Manzanita Lake cabin. Uh, there is a cabin, and uh, but on the map, there's this prominent trail and buoy. There's no buoy. There's really no trail. And the trail goes no through, through, not just like around or into muskegs, but through muskeg ponds. Oh. You actually have to, um, I mean, I guess you could swim some of them. We found a beaver dam that we could go across for one of them. One of them we could f- sort of barely cross without topping our boots. But you could find the boardwalk well below in the water. Go oh, so he had sunk into the into the pond, or the or the muskeg had risen, presumably over the over the boardwalk. I mean, my last year I was just talking to Barth Hamburg, and he was talking about trails subsiding into the muskeg. I guess this is an extreme example of yeah <laughs> of that. And the water is so dark, you can't really see the planks. You just oh. have to kind of feel for them because because <laughs> if you if you step off, I'm sure it's much softer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to try and find out, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's novel, I suppose. (laughs) But what a great, it was such a great, like the nice thing about it saying that there are cabins back there and there are trails back there is you get off and you try to hike. And we had a great time hiking in this area, um, even though like pretty much everything was very challenging and like the trail wasn't really there. Um, We still had such a great time, like trying to get back to rivers and to lakes and you know, hoping there might be a boat and more to explore. And on that particular trail, Manzanita, we did get turned around. We 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 had to turn around before we got to the lake and we came back, but we had such a great time exploring. And the river down there was beautiful. Um, the muskegs were lovely. I mean, it, it was just a be- beautiful area. So are, so you mentioned uh, Branch Bay and Manzanita Lake. Are these both on the mainland or on one of the islands down there? Those are on Revilla. Okay, so they're part of the same island that Ketchikan is on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a big island. Uh, it's huge, and a bunch of it is true. It's in Misty Fjords National Monument, a lot of it. And um, most of it is true wilderness. Uh, some of it has been logged, mostly on the western side. Hmm. There's one trail we did that was really interesting. It's not a trail, but there is a uh, plant, Paul, jump in when you remember what it is, that grows in only one area, and it is an area that is set aside for future mining. So in this monument, you're not allowed to have mines and things like that, but there's this little area that's been set aside that has an access point for potential mining, and there's a road all the way up there. I think it's 10 miles, and it's a um, mining road that's not used like clearly they just come along on clear uh branches occasionally but otherwise it's just like not a road (laughs) um and it goes uh all the way up to it's uh let me turn the map over here i forget the name of it yeah me too right now so this is it's in the national monument but it'd be a, a there was a claim stake before the monument so they i think they get to keep that there's some that sort of exemption claim. made to this yeah. uh it's a, a mine is up there it's on quartz hill quartz hill and uh, i don't remember what quartz hill is it's like molybdenum or something mm-hmm. it's uh one of these rather rare earths and uh it doesn't make financial sense to extract it right now so they keep the claim in reserve. And it's also maybe a national security thing. 
just to have it accessible in case they need it. So it's a small exclusion inside the monument. But it's a really cool hike. If you're, you know, most of those hikes are you know, one mile an hour, kind of dealing with broken bridges and so on, or they're just little short hikes to a lake, and then you go uh, take a canoe out on the lake. Uh, that one's the only like really long hike, other than the ones in Ketchikan, that they have a few traverses and so on. Hmm. And it's in a beautiful area with them. You go to the back of a, a lot, another long arm and there's an amazing estuary there just filled with bears. Kind of like uh, probably similar to like the Sea Lion Cove area, say in the Sitka region. Or um, yeah, where you just plan to see bears out there eating uh, along the estuary and in the river and in the grass. And that's what this spot was. Um, and then it had this amazing long hike you could take up to Quartz Hill where there is a plant that you can only find on that hill. And that's what led us there was to we go and find, find it. We didn't find the plant, but we found another rare plant. Uh, we found a thistle, a native thistle. Right. I remember seeing that come in on a naturalist. Yeah, your native thistle. What was the plant you were looking for? It's a fern. I don't remember which one. Uh, it's one of the more rare, like, um, uh, calcareous ferns. Oh, so It's found on Quartz Hill. Oh, okay, interesting. There's... Um, I know there is some uh, um, ultramafic stuff down in that region on Cleveland Peninsula, I think, on Annette Island has some. That's and, right. We went there to yeah. Annette Island to Yellow Hill. Into and Purple then, Mountain. Uh, so we explored that area in Metlakatla, which was super pleasant. And also uh, on a separate trip, I went to um, Yellow Mountain, which is up... Um, on the Cleveland Peninsula, like you said. Okay. So uh, did that trip. And there is less di- diversity there for some reason than on Yellow Hill. Yellow Hill maybe wasn't glaciated as severely. It's a fascinating area. Uh, anyone that gets a chance to go to Metlakatla should go. Mm. And you can find newts. Go to Yellow Hill and walk up to the top of the hill, which is it's a beautiful walk. Short, not too arduous. Lovely vista. And then you can stop in the little ponds along the way and look for newts. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I've the only ultramafic stuff I've been on has been Red Bluff Bay here in the Sitka area, and there's a polysticum, a fern that just grows on that kind of stuff, Crookabergii. I think it's been found on some of the other ultramafic it's places abundant in, in as well. Cleveland Peninsula, oh, but okay. I did not see it on um, uh, in Metlakatla. And now, of course, there's more ultramafic stuff across the road and higher up, so it could be there. Um, it's also kind of an alpine-loving sort of plant. Mm. We did find Aspidotis, though, again. Right. That's the fern that was a bit of a range extension when you found it the first time, I guess. It was um, known from further south, but then I think that was the first time it was recorded in Alaska. And that's right. Yeah. Uh, the serpentine fern, I think it's called in English. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it is interesting. Southern southeast Alaska, of course, is where we'd expect to see things that, you know, if we're going to see stuff from further south, the most likely place to see it is in southern southeast Alaska, where it's just perhaps at the very edge of its range, or perhaps its range is starting to move a little bit north, and and that's the place we'd be likely to find it. And like much of southeast Alaska, it's been poorly documented. I mean, it's just hard to get around. So as you were explaining these trails, I was thinking about Sitka. I was like, well, Sitka trails are pretty nice. But then I realized, you know, the Sitka trails are ones that generally on the road system are very close to the road system. They're a little less nice as you get further away from town. There's still a line on the map. You know, I know you all have done the the old trail that goes from like 
is near Goddard to the southern end of Readout Lake, and to so Old there are Cabin. yeah, there's there's places where people have lines on the map that probably at one time were nice trails, but maybe not so much these days, and so maybe that's sort of the scenario you're looking at there. Yeah, so if you're familiar with the CCC trail down there um, to the back of Redoubt, then uh, that would be a nice trail by the standards of the Ketchikan Ranger District. I'm sure they're great people. Um, I feel like maybe their funding is not oriented the same way. We had some laughs. Yes. (laughs) They might be more oriented towards um, logging. There's a lot of... uh, roads that serve that purpose towards tourism that's connected with vehicles, so whether that's a, a plane or a four-wheeler or even a, a truck or a car of some kind. So maybe that's it's less about hiking and more about um, other forms of recreation in the outdoors, fishing, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm just trying to, I mean, there's only so many trails that are like in the Sitka area, like Saloya, Lake Saloya maybe has a little bit of a trail. Sitko Lake, I think Lake Eva yeah. has a trail. Lake Eva Trail is nice. Um, Very and, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a few around, and I don't know how many there are. And Ketchikan sounds like quite a few places where there have been trails at one time. Although, yeah, if they're buried <laughs> buried in muskeg puddles, that would be a little bit of a... Yeah, and sometimes it would be easier to walk there if there weren't chunks of boardwalk broken everywhere in the way. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, I mean, there are some old trails around here, or actually prior to the last 25 years or so, before they started doing kind of more regular maintenance on some of these trails. There, uh, Manichkum Trail, for example, or Sea Lion Cove Trail is another one. That's a state trail rather than a Forest Service trail, but um, has things things deteriorate around here. There's a few that, though, are really good, like uh, Margaret Lake, for example, uh, Margaret Creek. Let's see. Where That's that a one? bear viewing area. Oh, right. And so th- what's cool about it is that it has uh, a pretty solid dock that you can attach to. Um, and um, so you can tie up to the dock and then walk on the four-wheeler road. It's a real road, let's just face it, um, that uh, you know services the logging areas. And off of it, there is a little trail that goes down to a bear viewing deck. Um, also, you can walk to uh, Margaret Lake, and it has a cool little uh, canoe there. Like most places on Prince of Wales, it seems, and in that area, uh, little lakes with canoes, and you can just take the canoe out and look at the yellow throats and other kind of cool little things that live down there. Yeah, I would say that, right, that kind of speaks to maybe what I was saying, where like if there's a multi-purpose use to it, then it's going to be uh, like that there was a bear viewing area there. Like we don't really have those in Sitka, but that's something that's there. That's a tourist destination. People go, they fly in, they take the four wheel road, you know, and so it's pretty well maintained. And, and then also this uh, fly fishing, flying in to go fishing. So a lot of boats at different lakes are available as well. So, I mean, right. Like if you don't mind not having a solid trail, there's really quite open to you if you want to get out and explore and use pieces of a road and then maybe a little bit of rugged non-existent trail but then you find a a, a, you know a a boat there for you to use and you can go explore further so it's really kind of fun if you have um just an adventurous spirit about it i guess don't expect it to be a super solid trail for hiking (laughs) and then there's lake shalukum i think that might be in the Petersburg Wrangell, uh, or Wrangell Rangers District. I'm not sure, but um, it's way north of uh, Revilla. 
And um, that has a set of hot springs that might be, I don't know. Hot springs are just great. Um, it's One should not rank them. But you should definitely go to uh, Lake Shilokum Hot Springs if you ever get a chance. That one is a fun trail, too, to, to um, walk. So you go to Bailey Bay and anchor up there, and there's a mooring buoy if you want or if it's Wait, available. No. No, more, no mooring buoy anymore. It's on the map, but... Oh, yeah, there is. Okay. Now, there, it's just in a different spot. It's okay. not where it's on the map, but it's there. That's something that you'll find, too. Like, they'll say there's a... Like, uh, Lake Manzanita, there's supposedly a three-sided shelter and a, maybe even a dock and a mooring buoy. That's what it says on the map, and you get there, and none of it is there. And then you find out the trails. So the maps are good for jumping off places, but don't necessarily expect all of the things that they say to be there or to be right where they're marked on the map. Um so, but with ba- with this lake where you can go to these hot springs, you you go to the back of Bailey Bay, and then the trail there is pretty good. And a part of the fun of it is it is like essentially through a waterfall. At one point, you have a waterfall cascading down the hill, and if it's rainy enough, you know the waterfall cascades over the trail. And so they have like a rope set up in there, and you might want to have us find a stick if you feel we we had brought oars or paddles with us at one point. So we used those as like walking sticks. And then you get through that. It's kind of fun. And you come to the top of this lake. There's old infrastructure up there for I don't know what. There's like, it looks like one of those um, cable bridges where you hand repel yourself across. We looked at it a little bit, but um, couldn't quite get to it to actually see if it was uh, something to explore further on. Um, but then you get get up in that area is beautiful. And there's like a uh, um, boat there, hopefully, because what we read about it is that the trail along the lake could be um, extra challenging to get to the hot springs. Unfortunately, when we've been there, we've always had the boat, so we haven't had to explore that. And the nice thing, too, about the boat is you can go t- along the lake to these hot springs, which are very much worth visiting, or you could go explore another section of the lake, too, which we also did. Um, but if you take the the canoe over to the hot springs there's a shelter back there a really lovely boardwalk um it's a beautiful spot there's a creek running by so if you get too hot you can jump into the creek yeah it's an alpine valley the shelter um i think was probably built in the 30s also it sure looks like it it's all hand split shingles and hands-on everything it's amazing just a sturdy sort of Surviving Conservation Corps looking um, really cool thing. Sturdy is the word for it. Yeah, yeah sturdy, like it looks, sturdy. Yeah, like it's nothing's yeah. going to take and it simple. away. Was yeah. this uh, this is on the north end of Revilla Island or or so it's on the mainland. Oh, it's on the mainland, uh, okay. north of Revilla. Okay, yeah, yeah, but it's accessed by going around Revilla basically. Yeah, and so you visited there more than once. It sounds like. Yeah, we loved it the first time we. We found it, and we were curious about the other side of the lake, too, and just what else we could see up there. So when we were circumnavigating Revilla, we made sure to stop back at Bailey and um, go up there. And we were hoping to walk up a waterfall that you could see uh, from the lake, and we did not make it up there. Um, What did we end up? It was pretty over there, but I don't know if there's anything in particular to say about that area. Um. I mean, it's uh, kind of a flat alpine sort of headwater valley, um, maybe reminiscent of behind Medavici Lake, uh, but less vegetation. And um, but I mean, s- shorter vegetation, but brushy. 
Um, it's kind of cool. There's uh, lots of mints back there, different kinds mm-hmm. of mints uh, that we're not used to in Sitka. There's not a lot of native mints. And weren't there, uh, wasn't there a nest of, sw- not swallows, a waxwing? Didn't we see? Oh, uh, waxwings singing in the trees. I suspect they were nesting. Okay, I thought. But I don't remember seeing nests. It's quite likely we did. Yeah, it seems, well, you mentioned brushiness, and one of the things that I've heard about Southern Southeast is that it can be exceptionally brushy, and I don't know how much you all, sounds like you you had some trails that were not trail enough anymore that they were essentially bushwhacking, but did you also try some just cross-country, no line on the map kind of, uh, but that looks like a neat place to go visit sorts of bushwhacks? That's what this was at the back of um, Shlokum, Lake, if you don't go towards the hot springs and just exploring, um, that's kind of what we did back in that area. And I wouldn't say it was exceptionally brushy, it was just brushy. We didn't make it up to the waterfall, um, but right, it wasn't exceptionally. It's possible that uh, this impression or this knowledge, I guess, that it's brushier down there is that we don't really have salal. And down there, when you get out of your boat, the first thing you have to do is kind of like go through Salal to get past the beach. So um, the Salal is definitely like a, it's in the way, but it doesn't extend very far into the woods. And then once you're in the woods, in the woods, then yes, there's brushiness. I don't know that it's brushier than here. It could be. I don't. How was your experience going up Yellow Mountain? I remember you said that was quite a slog. It was a slog, but it wasn't an unusual slog, I wouldn't say. It was the same system of like muskegs and ridges. And uh, it's, I thought I would find more fur down there and um, different species of conifers, but I, I only ever saw one ewe one time. Everything else was just the normal trees. With some red cedars in the mix. That's right. Uh, so uh, the red cedars are dominant. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, here the brush is highly variable. Like you can easily, especially if you've been places before and say, well, I don't want to go back there again. That was dumb. Uh, (laughs) uh, There's lots of places you can go where it isn't really all that brushy. And not that far away, you can be in Devil's Club and Salmonberries. That's really, really annoying. So uh, it is. it wouldn't surprise me if there's, you know, some patches where there's a lot of, you know, avalanche runout tracks or, or places like that where if you are, you know, dead set on getting to a particular place and you just got to go through that, then, you know, it could be really, really slow going. But that, I think there's, to a certain extent, that's true around Sitka as well. You know, if you get into those places uh, and nobody's been there before, trimmed up a path through there, at least softened up the salmon berries in Devil's Club or whatever, uh, then it can be a little bit of a of a challenge to make make any kind of significant progress. Yeah, I would say the worst is probably South Central Alaska with their alder thickets. Mm. I've been in a few mix, yeah, in avalanche track zones. Uh, I remember up above Blue Lake before before the lake level raised, being up in there and trying to make it through, uh, just getting into the avalanche track runout where it was a bunch of like really old Sitka alder that was, I don't know, foot in diameter, some of it, and then growing through with devil's club and stinging nettles and salmon berries. And like, you're trying to decide, is it better to kind of try and walk on the Sitka alders up and then, you know, kind of jungle gym across? Or is it, 
Is it better to like get underneath and try and crawl? But then you have all, you know, the, the real wild card there was the stinging nettles, which you don't have that much of, but they would be randomly growing through things and you'd grab on. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of a rare plant here, the stinging yeah. nettle. And I've heard stories about it being uh, planted on islands near uh, things like bird rookeries and sea lion colonies because it was used as cordage. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard that as well. The stuff we were seeing above Blue Lake was not in any place that I think yeah, anybody clearly. planted it. Um, it was growing some by the lakeshore, and it seems to be really spotty. Uh, my son found some up Indian River Valley a couple of years ago in a little a little uh, like gravel bar that was getting overgrown with stuff. And I went back the very next year, and I couldn't find it at all. Um, it was there. I went to the same place. I know exactly where it was, and it was not there. I've noticed it along Blue Lake Road before as well, where it's growing. And then many years I look and I don't see it at all. So it seems like it can come and go in places like that. But where we were seeing it above the lake, like well above the lake, well above the current flood zone, where it seemed to be like normal, were in these, um, I guess they were really just slope metal, uh, slope meadows of, uh, and it was early in the season, but it was like, um, Veratrum, corn lily, false hellebore stuff, uh, ferns, and and stinging nettles were all coming up. They were just all new shoots, and they were on these well-drained slope meadows. You know, up above were cliffs and stuff. This is up, you know, that valley back there is really steep, going up Mount Bassey and and what. But in the valley bottom, you know, the slopes, a lot of, you know, just the rock and stuff that's shed over the years. And presumably they get avalanche stuff out there that keeps the bigger shrubs from from developing and, and the trees and such from developing as well. But there was a number of those kind of slope meadow things where a de- uh, stinging nettle was coming up and seemed to be like there was quite a bit of it. And so that seemed to be its happy spot, I guess. And I'm assuming that that's the, the seed population of, of where these things are showing up in sort of more spotty spotty ways like the seeds will blow down and it'll grow and then it'll just die and i don't know if they're i think they're perennials but maybe sometimes they act like annuals so i don't know it's mystery though did you find any stinging nettles down in in your wanders nope not at all so yeah the mystery continues i guess yeah that's <laughs> uh, a lot of, lot of things well you mentioned that you were finding mints and, and things down there yeah I'm, I'm trying to think I don't know. There are really very few mints that I would expect to see around Sitka. The self-heal, maybe? Yeah. Canella. That one is common on the road south of town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, Blue Lake Road. I've seen it at Salmon Lake, and I've seen it in a number of places. That one is the one that, that I would generally expect to see around here. But I know there's a native mentha, and um, which is related to like our spearmints and peppermints yeah, and things. I think some places it's called mentha canadensis, but... Mm. In other places, it has a different name. Arvensis, maybe? Yeah, that sounds sounds familiar. Here in Sitka, you're saying we can also... Uh, Southeast Alaska. I've not yeah. seen it in Sitka. Yeah. We found it. In fact, um, I think we found it by the mouth of the Yunuk River. Uh, there's a mooring buoy there, and uh, we went kayaking up the Yunuk a little ways. That was a fun adventure, too, Um just because it's uh, you can go up the river, you know, further when the tide is high, and so you can go up into an area that is not always accessible and explore a little bit. And there, it feels like what it is, which is mainland, and it feels like north and interior, and you just expect a moose to come out at any moment. And so interesting that you can be in one sort of 
what feels like one ecosystem and then it just, you know, not far away, move into what feels like a totally different ecosystem. That was pretty fun being up there. So you, how far did you, ma- were you able to kayak up the uh, up the river? Well, I guess we cheated. We didn't go up the main branch of the Yunuk River. That would have been suicidal uh, because, um, or just impossible because it's, the current is so Right, strong. I was wondering about that. If there were side eddies or, or yeah, things like that. there's side arms. Most of the people that have cabins there have cabins on the north side. There's a big slough there. We went to the south side, and uh, it was like a 15-foot tide or something crazy. And so we just kind of used the current. It carried us in, and we, if whenever we got stuck on a sandbar, we waited and then proceeded. And uh, it was fascinating to just uh, kayak among trees because... The trees get completely swamped. Uh, there's um, lilies and not not lilies, irises and uh, all sorts of plants just kind of sticking out of the water. Hmm. Are they and, cottonwoods there? Yep, lots yeah. of cottonwoods. Yeah, yeah, because the the mainland rivers are yeah different a different thing. And then the trans transboundary mainland rivers, I guess we should we should specify because Unic is one of those, the Stikine and mm-hmm. the, the major of those. Taku is another one, Alsic River. Up further north, and the uh, you know many people. Uh, I, I think I've heard jet boats run up the Eunuch a ways. I don't know how far they go up the Eunuch, but uh, the Stikine they go quite a long ways up. I think, and it's a number of people, um, and maybe every year people will you know get a jet boat up and then raft or, or kayak down down the river. And you know from people that have done that, describing you know your interior essentially, and you're actually in Canada literally. Uh, where where you would start on those, and then working your way down through the coast mountains, you know you're you're seeing this this very dramatic um, gradient of precipitation, you know annual precipitation amounts and cold and and the way that the you know the climate is changing um, as you as you approach the the ocean and and the west side of the mountains there. But it sounds like you're getting into a little bit of that even in just uh, near the river mouth and delta. I suppose that's probably the delta area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel it right away. I mean, it was also interesting, too, in that you can't see through the water. Um, it's like it's like a glacial runoff water. Mm. It's just silt. You can't see anything. So you can't see if there's a rock. You can't see if there's a log floating by. So that there's also that like element of sort of curiosity to the whole experience as well. And then the tide was moving so fast. I think that was something too that felt real exciting and unexpected. Like we would stop to maybe try to have lunch somewhere and then realize there's no way we're going to be able to eat lunch without, we'll be float, you know, get our boats will be floating. We'll be in water if we yeah. sit here. And so sort of having to be more strategic about where we go. And yes, there are many aspects to it that were kind of Different and exciting. Was that one of the early spring trips that you were doing, or was that? Did you do that one later in the? In I the think year? that was in the proper summer. Oh, okay, yeah. so so things had already plants were up and and out and. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. a little more a little more going on there, I suppose, in the estuary meadows. Were the irises blooming and? We saw they some. were past their bloom, I think. Oh, already, right? yeah. Okay. Or were they blooming I, at the time? I mean, maybe I'm conflating it with another trip, you know. But I, yeah, because we went for so many different times. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't remember either. Yeah, well, it is it is interesting to consider. Like, part of what I'm curious about is just the differences between like here and other places nearby here that, yeah. broadly speaking, are very similar. But but then it's 
there are these these things that stick out as being like, wait, where's the thing that I'm used to seeing all the time that doesn't happen to be here? Or like brown bears, right? Like yeah, it was I all suppose. like black bears everywhere we turned, which was really fun. They're beautiful and they're different, and yeah, kept expecting to see brown bears, but no, they're black bears. Did you have any issues with bears while you were out? No, we had such a great time with them. I mean, th- that sounds funny. Um, <laughs> we had really, I, th- I thought, really great experiences seeing them in many places. There were a lot of them. And I'm remembering going to the back of a lake. Maybe it was Margaret Lake and getting out uh, the very back of the lake and walking kind of on the spit of land that would go out into the lake. And it's super tall grasses. And so you really couldn't see around very well and a bunch of like kind of hillocky land so you're like in little channels or you're up on top of a little hillock and you can see where maybe like a otter or some sort of small mammal has like a little run in there and then you start to wonder what else is in these like uh, tall grasses hillocky areas and kind of climbing up on top of a hillock and looking at a spit just next to us and what's there is a beautiful giant black bear and you realize like they're doing it was doing the same thing as us but just on a different spit of land mostly invisible like you'd see the grass moving and then suddenly it would pop out and so yeah just all these that was a really fun thing to see like we I felt like we were kind of like bears for a moment there but just in our own little spit and then there was this other bear over there doing its thing we got to see what its life was kind of like for a moment by just doing something similar to it Mm. Nice. Did you, I mean, you'd mentioned earlier that there are places where there are bear viewing areas, presumably popular with tourists. Um, did you visit any of those or mostly try to avoid the more well-traveled locations? No, we went to one. We went to the, the bear viewing plate, uh, platform at uh, Margaret Lake. Yep, that's right. And we did not see bears at the bear viewing platform, but... We, we saw, saw bears them. kind of everywhere else. Yeah, everywhere so it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fun. Did you interact much with other people that were, like, did you run into folks that were sort of exploring like you all were or, or groups that were being guided or much? We saw a couple of guided tours. Uh, we saw some people that were out to party or charter fish. Yeah, I'm mainly thinking of the there a tour group we saw that was going to that bear viewing platform. That was fun to run into them because we just got to hear like what the typical experience was for people who go there is like and like when how often they see bears and that kind of thing but aside from that except from except for like um yeah one other boat uh, that was out while we were out as well that seemed to be from the Ketchikan area didn't run into that many people it's not crowded no yeah there's plenty of space for people to get out and explore um oh and that same place too Am I remembering all of this? Mar- I keep saying Margaret Lake, but remind- jump in if I'm saying the wrong place, Paul. Um, this was also the place with the seals that go into... Oh, no. So that's a different spot. Okay, that was a bear-heavy yeah, yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a spot that we ended up going three times. I think you went twice and I went three times. Um, let me look at Blaine. The name. We have a map with us. Sorry for the noise. but Okay, Naha River. Naha River, is that on the mainland as well? Or? It's also on Revilla. Revilla. So okay. uh, it's on Revilla. And that's another one that we highly recommend. Uh, there's a state dock. Uh, there is a. Uh, so Naha Bay has a small town called Loring, a former town. 
it's now maybe mostly abandoned, but there, people still have cabins there. In fact, there's a bunch of them for sale all the time. And, um, and then there's a state dock at the mouth of the river, and there's lots of bears there. And then there's a trail that connects to a big lagoon slash lake and then goes up the Naha River to another lake that has a canoe that goes to a cabin that has a trail that goes to another lake that has another cabin. Like you could do this for a long time. <laughs> and um, it's, um, it's not too bad as far as uh, the trail is not in t- a terrible shape. It's actually one of the more decent trails kind yeah. of compared to what we were talking about. There's some area. broken sections, but it's not too bad. And uh, one time we went there and uh, the tidal swing up there is pretty good, pretty big. And uh, there were a bunch of seals in this freshwater lake. It was oh, wow. so cool. Like they were in grass. Like we were walking yeah. along and we hear these funny noises because we're not thinking about seals. And we are looking around to see what the sounds are. And on like an island that's just made of grass, you know, and like trees, trees, and, like, shrubs and logs. whatnot. There's a bunch of seals, like, in the trees. It's so wild. (laughs) Yeah. We couldn't believe it. And it's really so disorienting to watch them, but also kind of fun and funny because you can kind of hide in the trees, too, on your trail across from their little island and look out and watch them relatively close. And as long as you're kind of quiet and discreet, they maybe don't notice you as much because of the trees as well. And they're also pretty involved with each other. They're like doing their burping and groaning and like <laughs> trying to get out of the water, trying to fend each other off. Like, I don't know what they're doing, but... So there was a, quite, a, quite a number of them, it sounds like. There yeah. were. And once they're in there, there's no tide. So they don't have to move back and forth. They're just... I mean, they're there like in the... Literally in shrubbery. Hmm. And then and the tide comes back in, and then they can go access salt water again. Although they don't always wait. We watched one go down like a terrible, like whitewater hellscape. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it, it was fine. like a crazy surfing video slash whitewater kayaking, mostly underwater. And there's this seal just shooting down the rapids. It was incredible. <laughs> it looked like it was going to kill itself. But it was okay. Got out the other end. Down there's by also the a bear yeah. like, walking right there next to it. So it's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, I wondered if the bears would... I mean, I guess if it's on a little island, maybe the bears wouldn't be able to get there so easily without the seals getting away. But um seems like seal would be a, a good meal for a bear if... if and bears, I would imagine a bear yeah. could take a seal out pretty easily on land. Yeah, and there were some seals on the land side, on the shoreline, that we scared off while we were walking. They kind of skittered out of the trees mm. into the lake. But the bears were also living the high life already. Like, they didn't need to go after seals because there were just fish kind of... Like, we saw one fishing bear kind of, quote, fishing. Really, all it was doing was, like a fish that was kind of pooled in the water half dead, it would just kind of take or might even be laying on the ground already. Like there was food everywhere for so the this bears. Was during salmon season? This was at the end. Like they were, that's why that fish view- viewing area was kind yeah. of popular. And Maybe August? Yeah. Oh, okay. So late, later in the summer. Yeah, it sounds like a really interesting place. I wonder, I've seen seals at the mouth of, you know, Thoroughfare Bay here, like when the rapids are just pouring out at low tide, I've just seen them sort of playing in the in the churn there at the base of the falls. 
But I, I guess I wonder if they, that wouldn't be hard for them to go into the bay and then, and then ride it out again, oh, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. I saw one once, uh, we were in the back of the bay, and I don't remember if you were there, but there was, we were eating lunch in the back of the bay, and the bay was iced over. We had to skitter the kayaks over the ice, and we're eating lunch, and we hear this sound, and it turns out there was a little hole in the ice, and there was a seal that kept coming up and breathing through the hole. Oh, in North Thoroughfare? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So cool. Yeah. Huh. That's fun. Well, the, yeah, so the bears on the mainland, did you see any brown bears? Or, I mean, I know that, that both are would be on the mainland. We didn't see any brown bears. Am I remembering that we correctly? We did see brown bears, yeah. Did we? Okay. Yeah. Remind remind me and tell I Matt. I think we <laughs> even <laughs> saw a brown bear on Revilla at one point, which is kind of unusual. Where Do you remember what the story was, or...? Maybe it's not important. <laughs> I don't remember what the story was, but I, I know we saw yes, I, brown bears because, um, yeah, I remember that all my brown bears, somebody, in I naturalist, somebody always ends up coming around and calling it an ABC Island bear. And okay. I thought, what's going to happen this time? And they called it something else. I don't remember. Grizzly bear is the one that I always, I'm like, are these really grizzly bears? I think they called it a grizzly bear. Yeah. yeah. And then I realized that the common name in iNaturalist for grizzly bear defaults to a subspecies, Ursus arctus horribilis. horribilis. Um, And so when people call, I I mostly just put everything as brown bear. And and I gave up disagreeing with grizzly bear because when I looked into it, I was like, all right, I guess for the mainland bears, I'm not really like that maybe as good a name as any, so whatever. Um, Kodiak Island has a very distinct uh, subspecies. And then the ABC island brown bears are so if they call it a grizzly bear on baranoff or chichikoff or admiralty i'll i'll put in the abc island bear but yeah and well so speaking of iNaturalist, i think last time we talked you you had gotten over 500 species or something you're up to i i'm so disappointed i unfortunately am having some trouble accessing my iNaturalist from my phone so i can't even talk about it because oh. <laughs> um, i can't i mean i can't look it up um i at some point, it just sort of wiped out my uh, numbers on my phone oh, here, no. and I'm sure they think they still exist on my computer, but I can't readily look at my phone and tell you what's going on with my yeah. account or anything. So I, I honestly don't know. I was adding things in while we were traveling, and but they just sort of disappear, and I'm not able to see what they're they're up to. Um, but I haven't been doing as much since kind of coming back to Sitka. Um, so, yeah, I guess I also don't have it as much in my mind. Well, I can say I was able to pull it up on the computer. You're up to 679 taxa in Alaska and okay. 640 species Okay, in but the Alaska. real important question is, where is Jonathan Goff in where, relation where to those? Where is Jonathan, numbers? my, <laughs> your, your <laughs> my competitor? competitor. <laughs> yeah, well, that's easy enough to find out as well. I think not not that close. Okay, uh, We'll, we'll see where he is. You are you are now number fifteen in the state for number of species. So in the state, in the state, and, and my brother is number seventeen. Okay, he's sixty species behind you. So. Okay, and he's not coming up anytime soon. He is he coming up for a week this Christmas, but I believe that it'll be, be a little tough to yeah. pull in sixty species okay, unless uh, unless he gets out there and <laughs> digs into the foraminifera. You know, he could take some of the bags of sediment and uh, you know do foraminifera. <laughs> when he gets back home, I guess, in the microscope. No, I suspect I he's not that into it. Yeah, but. that's not legal either. He has to do it here. Oh, I see. Gonna... He has to He has to actually do it here. All right. So, yeah, it is, um, it, it is uh, it, you know, friendly competition. It's not so bad. You're only, you're only 
10 away from number 14. So Okay, yeah. well, that seems doable. Yeah, All you're right. 160 away from being in the top 10, so it's, that's, that's not so bad either. That's terrible, I it's guess. It's just a few days of yeah. hardcore Intensive. natural history. Yeah. yeah. That's Which that's is what, something you did recently, Paul, in, a, in trying to reach a goal I heard about. Yeah, so um, I'm just uh, doing my own thing, and then I find out from you, Matt, that I was close to a thousand species for the year for the state. Yeah, you were at the time, I think, only like 20 some species away. And there was a lot of like easy stuff that you hadn't gotten, like birds, like swans or whatever. That Junkos. Even with a fo- cell phone, uh, you know, without any regular <laughs> camera, you could take pictures of those birds and, and get them ID'd. So, uh, so yeah, I mentioned that. And, and since then, now you've, you've gone, you're, as we're recording this, uh, you're over a thousand. You've got a thousand and twenty three species for, the year for 2022. So, I mean, part of what precipitated all of this, I should say, the the iNaturalist furor here, our uh, collective obsession was your big year project in 2015. I'd done one in 2012, I guess. We called it a thousand species project, which I had no real easy way of compiling everything. But then you started using iNaturalist to do it in 2015. I don't think you quite made it to a thousand no, that I year. I didn't. That's an interesting thing, I think, though. We were reflecting a little bit on that after your recent little burble and reaching a thousand and just how easy it was for you now. Whereas with the, maybe that's what you were getting at, Matt, all this time ago in 2015 when it was your first goal, it was um, a challenge and you didn't quite reach it in that particular year. I guess I've just learned a lot. Yeah, that helps. Um, you traveling helps also. So you've you've done done a little more stuff. But yeah, for me, the I tried to get a thousand species in two thousand seven. That one ended very early. Two thousand twelve, I made it through pretty much the whole year. I think two thousand seventeen might have been the first year that I successfully did it. And that was when we had our all species kind of community big year thing that we did. And then since then, I've gotten very close every year. Or if not made it over. And close enough that I was annoyed at myself for not doing it. I was like only 30 away and there was like a number of plants that I could have easily gotten if I had realized, you know, they, I see them so much I don't even, I'm like, oh, I must have got that already. I didn't even really think about it. So so in recent years, now I've made it, uh, say I intentionally uh, sought to make sure I get the common things around and then I get enough other less common stuff just by floating around but yeah the first time is the hardest time and then after that it gets easier because you recognize stuff you know where it is and and you can you can see it you're not trying to figure it out the first time so so that's kind of your an annual um i don't know if goal is the right word yeah i mean it's an annual sort of uh uh uh, waypoint i guess if you will something that's just kind of it's not it's not something that i work super hard at but um I mean, I guess that depends. I don't perceive myself to be working super hard at it. Somebody from the outside looking at me would probably go, you're nuts. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> you're like totally obsessed about that. So uh, it's not something I keep in mind the whole year, but as the year gets towards the end, the problem for me is I take a lot of pictures that I haven't. So right now I'm sitting at 900 species for the year, but I have probably 1,500 or 2,000 observations left to upload from pictures that I've taken over the year. So I don't actually know. I'll be annoyed with myself. I end up with like 985 or something like that. I, I think I'll probably get over 1,000. But this year I was a little less diligent than I was last year where I started I started really in, in August because that's when you can still get plants in the alpine or and, and elsewhere. And so I started looking and saying, okay, were there any plants that I missed? And I didn't do that this year. So there there might be some things that were pretty easy to get in July and August that are impossible to get now. Um 
And so, and I probably just won't even know, like we're getting on towards the end of the year as this is airing, I guess I'll find out. I'll, I'll know by the time this is airing, whether or not I, I made, I, I knew or not, but probably it won't be till February really before I've uploaded enough stuff to, to see whether I made it. But that's kind of like a, that, that seems like a nice mark to, to just sort of have in mind as, as a place to reach. It's not super ambitious for me at this point. Like the next ambitious one would be maybe 1500 or 2000 in a year. Um, or to narrow down the time frame, I'm like, well, I've thought about like in the long run, like doing a thousand species in a day would be kind of interesting to try. I mean, I've kind of tried it a couple of times to, just to see how far I could get. But, you know, maybe a thousand in a month or a thousand in a week or a weekend or something like that. Like there's there's ways that I could compress that. But that's it's so much work. <laughs> it's really Have you done is. the kind of pre-work or what I would think is a way to sort of see if it's even really logistically realistic, which is to sort of like make a list of the thousand species that are like pretty readily each time you've reached a thousand, these are the ones you get? I have not gone quite that far. I have gone, well, part of that's because if it's over a course of a whole year, there's things that are very seasonal that I see one time of year, but not the other. The most species I've got in a day was over, I got over 500 species in a day. And I learned that Going less distance was better than trying to go further because you end up spending a lot of your day in travel time. Helps to have a low tide, uh, you know, a real low tide, and you can go to Magic Island or something like that, and you can get a lot of there's a high density, but the, it's just it's challenging to take the pictures fast enough <laughs> and to find the stuff and take the pictures. It would be easier if there were people like spotters or whatever, especially in intertidal stuff, turning over rocks. But that that I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not for for me. I'm, that might go beyond the spirit of it. If if it were turned into something like, okay, let's have a team, and let's do it as a fundraiser or something, you know, like it's the iNaturalist version of the swimathon or something like that. So you'll donate five cents for every species we find, or you know, whatever to some cause. Like then, then be having fun. a team and spotters and stuff that would mm-hmm. be that would be uh, you know a different sort of a different sort of thing. But, and it seems so much more doable too because you can have different people in different regions. Well, and then, then it, yeah, it depends on how you're how you're doing it. So like when they do the big day birding things if there's a team then everybody on the team has to observe the bird in order for it to count for example Ah. so yeah there's different ways you could set it up for sure um but i've seen over 2,000 species on the road system in sitka like when i looked every accessible from the road system i've seen over 2,000 observed over 2,000 species so um and so i think i think within a mile of my house i've seen well over a thousand i think something like 1500 species and a lot of those are seasonal like a moth that might be there for a couple of weeks or i might have only seen once in one year uh so there's there's things like that but i think if i really got the lichens and mosses and i knew where they were in my neighborhood that's probably the way that I'm most likely to be able to get a thousand is to really just walk my neighborhood and do all the lichens and mosses and then the, the other stuff and the plants and things and maybe take one, you know, a trip out the road for the beach and just do the stuff there. But that's the most likely way just because travel takes up so much time and you you have to do like more than one species a minute all day in order to get to a thousand. That's a just a lot. Yeah, it's a lot and it's a lot. To, it's just exhausting. It's tiring to to do that even from the times that I've tried. But you know, so I don't know if I'll try again, but it's it's kind of one of those things. Um, but yeah, the other end is like easier. It's like okay, maybe two thousand or lifetime things, right? So, so Paul is going to pass me up probably next year in total species in Alaska. So it's possible he'll be the number one. He'll be the number one uh, iNatter in Alaska oh my at goodness. that point. He's got a long way to go to catch up with me for observations for Alaska, but for species, he'll he'll uh, 
He'll be catching up. Cause so he's, is this the beginning of a um, friendly or not so friendly competition? <laughs> Probably What's not. Happening? Paul doesn't seem too competitive. <laughs> you know what they say when you sign up for a, a um, financial product? They always say uh, past performance is not indicative of future returns. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, Paul's only uh, 125 species away from me. Okay. And between his, his interest in microscopic things mm-hmm. and his interest in traveling, Neither of which I am nearly as excited about. Uh, it's it's quite likely that he'll pass me up, if not next year, then then the year after. Well, I would guess. So. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, and maybe kind of sad. Well, I mean, I can always I can always just narrow my scope sufficiently because okay. he's nowhere close to passing me up for Sitka. Okay, okay. <laughs> and so so just I just I just shut narrow out the rest my scope. Of yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Or you could start using your microscope more. Yeah, I could do that if I got if I got organized, ambitious. And I think you will eventually. Yeah, could could be. I I'm, I'm interested in doing, I started last winter doing some braphites, mosses, and liverworts and kind of getting a little into that. But it requires more organization. Paul does it smart. He says, I'm going to collect it. I'm going to deal with it that day or the next, or it's going out. I'm not thinking about it anymore. From from experience, I think, probably. That's, That's why. Yes. kind of how you've... There's a lot of things in the compost. <laughs> <laughs> and and they do well there. Uh, <laughs> me, they end up in little bags to look at later, and I have hundreds of these okay. that, uh, you know, theoretically I have some nice species in there, but who knows if they'll ever get looked at. So uh, they could contribute to science and go into an herbarium somewhere, but again, who knows if you that'll have to ever happen. First. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody 40 years from now who's cleaning out my house will go, what is this junk? Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it has labels on it and things like that, I usually put the date and, and what I think it might be, but it is, it's an interest. Everybody's got to find their own sort of way. It's been, it's been fun to see uh, the the um, you know the last couple of years you've been really getting into the um, desmids um, and Karen's been doing the foraminiferas and those those little things are like they're cool looking they're really tiny I mean they're uh, and difficult to get good pictures of sometimes but sometimes they have pretty striking photos and are pretty distinctive yeah the forums are especially difficult to take pictures of and some of the smaller desmids are just as difficult uh, the desmids because they're they can be incredibly tiny, and their ornamentation can be very slight. Um, also, the light can, can just wash them out. Uh, for the um, for aminifers, they're little protists, I guess. Yeah, if protist is even a thing, uh, they're these little unicellular animals that create shells that eventually end up um, helping make chalk, and um, they. Uh, are fairly abundant here in the ocean, uh, mostly on the bottom of the ocean. And uh, Karen Johnson has been incredible about uh, linking up with an expert down in New Zealand and getting pictures of them. They're so hard to get pictures of because they're not that small, but they're very three-dimensional. And um, you pretty much have to do a uh, 3D model in order to really understand what it is. And then you have to have the guy in New Zealand to get a name on it. The, yeah, she sent some. Also, there's a guy in Europe she's gotten connected with that he does, um, He does. I think maybe they're scanning electron microscope pictures. I think anyway, there might be some SEM, yep. Yeah, they're much fancier microscope pictures where you get to see a lot of that detail come out a little bit because it's got the resolution to, to show some of the textures and stuff and that three-dimensionality that is, is pretty important to kind of seeing them very well. Yeah, they're beautiful. I don't even know that we have any radial area in iNaturalist for Southeast Alaska. But there's whole groups out there. Uh, the biggest one 
and the most neglected one probably because it's so hard to identify is diatoms. Um, they're just difficult. But, yeah. uh, and they require very good microscopy and math. <laughs> and math too. <laughs> Why math? I know. Um, they have um, algorithms to identify them. Usually you don't work through a key. They're just so complicated. You just put the measurements into an algorithm. Oh, huh. Well, more more frontiers to explore. And, and uh, certainly I... I uh, will look forward to seeing seeing what things that you're discovering. Both of you, you have any big plans for the coming year? Well, I think um, we have ha- the boat is probably going to go to Cake. So um, maybe a little Prince of Wales exploration first. Yeah. So there's good friends in Craig and um, friends in Cake as well who uh, would be fun to visit, and then. The Northern Prince of Wales, I mean, Southern Prince of Wales is just hard to get to. It would be wonderful to spend time there, but it's very hard to get to Southern Prince of Wales. It's probably not realistic. But uh, Northern Prince of Wales and then Cake is just so centrally located to go to, again, Redbluff Bay or just to soak in the warm springs and to go around QU, places like that. Mm, Nice. And it's just a nice, kind of like Metlakatla is sunny and kind of nice to be in the summer. I'm sure it's nice in the winter, too. Um, the cake is just... It's sunnier, I think. I could be wrong. I feel like it's sunnier there. So your plan, then, is to s- sort of uh, centrally locate in cake and explore from there, much like you did with the more southern reaches and of the of the area. That's right. Yeah. There's a, a portage that we've been talking about for years, well before we even had this boat idea. Maybe we'll finally get to do that. So do some kayaking from it and get some trips in. Yeah, go to Renach Bay finally and then the back of Bay of Pillars and I we had an incredible trip in the Kiku Islands um, years and years ago and kind of want to do that again. Mm. Going to try and make it back out to Coronation? Oh, but that weather Coronation dependent. is yeah, it's weather dependent. Yeah. But Coronation I still think of as one of the most incredible places in Southeast. And I haven't been to Doll Island. I haven't been to a lot of places. So, but yeah. Well, it sounds like fun. And maybe, maybe we can, uh, you know, pencil in for next year around this time. We'll hear the, hear the highlights and, and see what, see what's happened in the meantime. Any other thoughts from you, Brooke? No, I'm looking forward to seeing more of Southeast. And yeah, it was really such a, unexpected delight to go to the Ketchikan area and explore that area. Really loved it. So yeah, this part of the world is so pretty. Like wherever we go, wherever people go and explore, I think they're going to be having a great time. Yeah. Well, maybe some folks who are listening to this will have some ideas or suggestions for out-of-the-way places to explore in your in cool. your next uh, round of explorations. And uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Matt. Okay, thanks. You've been listening to a conversation I recorded a little over a week ago with Paul Norwood and Brooke Schaefer. I want to thank them for taking some time to visit with me. And thank you for joining me here on the Sitka Nature Show this week. As we're starting into a new year, I want to appreciate those who have been listening over the years. And I'm looking forward to another year of observations and conversations and sharing that all with you. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. Until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW Sitka.